0: Each one of us lived up to our potential and managed our resources so well that we could provide for ourselves, our families, and our communities in a meaningful and substantial way. Join Step Right with Lynn, the show dedicated to empowering socially conscious individuals to manage their financial resources for the benefit of themselves, their families, and the greater community. Here's Lynn Wedham, Certified Financial Planner and Managing Partner at Step Right Capital Planning.
1: Good Welcome to Step Right with Lynn. Today I'm looking forward to chatting with John Newfeld from the House of Friendship. Uh, please feel free to join in the conversation by calling in or using the chat room on the A to Zen website. Uh, email me anytime at lynn at I'm here to answer your questions about your financial needs, your retirement income planning, or how to effectively add charitable giving to your financial plan or your estate planning. People often contact me because they're concerned they're missing a key ingredient in their financial plan. They're afraid they might be making a mistake that they're not aware of that's costing them money. I offer a free 30-minute telephone consultation to respond to those concerns. And that email again is lynn at stepright.ca. That's L-I-N-N at stepright, S-T-E-P-R-I-G-H-T dot C-A. The topic of the show today is to belong and thrive. What if we could build a community, a healthy community, where every member felt they had a place and every member had the support they needed, not just to exist, but to thrive? What if every parent and every child had the opportunity and resources to live up to their greatest potential? What would that be like? House of Friendship is celebrating 75 years of offering hope, care, and support where the need has been recognized. Today, my guest is John Newfeld, Executive Director of the House of Friendship. Um, since September 2009, John has had the privilege of serving as the Executive Director of House of Friendship. Prior to serving at House of Friendship, John had the incredible opportunity of working with foster children at Bridgeway Family Homes for 11 years. Academically, John has a Bachelor of Theology from the Canadian Mennonite University, a Bachelor of Arts in Social Development Studies from the University of Waterloo, uh, a Master of Social Work from the University of Toronto, and a Master's of Business Administration from Wilfrid Laurier University. He's an active member of Sterling Avenue Mennonite Church and is a board member with the Waterloo Chapter of Mennonite Economic Development associates, an association that creates business solutions to poverty around the world through microfinance. John enjoys traveling with family, spending time with friends, watching movies, reading business and fiction, squash and technology. That's a very interesting autobiography, John.
2: Well, thank you, Lynn, for having me. It's good to be uh, with you here this morning.
1: It is great to to uh, be chatting with you today. Under the things you enjoy, uh, you'd have lost some people with that reading about business. I was still with you uh, there, but I did shudder when I got to the technology. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of us. There's a lot of us that don't really enjoy our technology.
2: <laughs> oh, I just grew up as a little kid, uh, loved playing with computers and all that kind of stuff, and so it just uh, always fascinated me. Um, but it's amazing watching my own kids and with the kind of technology they're playing with, and I can't keep up with them either anymore, so times change.
1: Yeah, it's really something. We we have to deal with it, but um, uh, not all of us enjoy it. Well, it's wonderful when everything's working, and you're doing everything right, I guess, but (laughs) uh, there can be some challenges. So it's been almost five years, John, that you've been with the House of Friendship. Um, let's talk a little bit about the vision statement of the House and Friendship and, and why, um, why you felt this organization was a really good fit for you.
2: Yeah, the, the vision statement uh, that we have today uh, wasn't one that just uh, got wordcrafted accidentally. Um, A few years ago we went out to the community and we asked uh, first and foremost the people that we serve throughout all of our 19 programs. uh, We wanted to know uh, what they needed, how they felt about our programs and we listened uh, honestly and uh, we got feedback uh, from hundreds of people. And so the vision statement came out of there and so it may seem simple. but it was based on a community response um, not just something we uh, crafted together a couple of us in in a boardroom one day and I have to tell you uh, part about a healthy community where all can belong and thrive is an incredibly personal uh, statement to me um, for many reasons and and I'll share a little bit of that uh, For my own personal story is that in 1981 uh, our family immigrated uh, to Canada and I was 7, my sister was 14, mom and dad were 40 and uh I just kind of naively thought as a 7-year-old life was going to continue to be really good. Um I was born in uh Russia and um although we didn't have all the um trappings of uh you know, modern life here in North America, we we had a strong sense of community. We had a strong sense of helping each other out. And so we didn't have the technology. We didn't have the the toys and, and all that. Um, I didn't have a phone. There wasn't indoor plumbing or any of that. But we had community. We could rely on each other. And it was just kind of carefree. Uh, as a little kid, I, you know, we ran around on the street, played together. Neighbors looked out for each other. And so I just kind of naively... You know, Mom and Dad said, we're we're going to Canada um, to be reunited with your um, grandparents, uh, who mm-hmm. we've been separated with um, since the Second World War. And so I just thought, hey, it's fantastic. We're going to go to Canada and life will just carry on. And. People get along and treat each other uh, respectfully. And uh, it was quite a rude awakening uh, in 81 when um, I got on the school playground. And because I didn't speak the language and I sounded a little different, um, I I was told very clearly um, by many others that I didn't belong. I was different. Um, Something was wrong with me. And uh, so when you're seven years old and you're trying to grapple with, you know, why don't others like me because of something I can't control because of where I was born, the language I speak. uh, That that has a profound impact on you. Um, And so then to serve at an organization like House of Friendship, who for 75 years has been working at helping uh, those that are marginalized, those in our community that are told, you know what, you don't belong. You're homeless. Mm -hmm. You you know, you don't have enough food to eat, you're struggling with an addiction, you're a new Canadian, you you know, you're from a different culture and faith, you don't belong. And and sort of the whole vision and mission of House of Friendship over 75 years has been to find a way for all to belong and thrive. And um, so there's definitely uh, very much a a personal um, connection to our uh, vision for me personally.
1: Mm-hmm. that's wonderful um when we were chatting the the other day, I was very interested in um in the fact that um you have personally in, implemented what I would call a plan giving strategy, and I wondered if you would um you know tell our listeners about that as well
2: sure lynn i I remember years ago i somebody said to me uh you know you could tell me. Uh, You could try to tell me who you are, and you could put on a good show and and say you're this or that, but to be honest, uh, show me your checkbook and show me your date book, and I'll tell you who you really are. Hmm. And and I've never forgotten that, and I thought the person was absolutely right. Um, We could think we're wonderful individuals, we're wonderful dads, moms, um, siblings, uh, colleagues, but how we spend our time and money ultimately says everything about us and um so i took that quite seriously and and as a parent you know you could say i'm a great dad but if in your date book um all you're ever doing is working and and never spending time with family uh, it's hard to reconcile that and so the same thing with the checkbook i mean you you can say i'm a generous person or i'm a frugal person or whatever but if if that's not coming out in your um checkbook it's sort of a it's, it's irrelevant um, so I, I've always paid attention to that right from early on and um, you know a couple of things that you know nothing that I did that I'm just really grateful for and, and now as a parent of, of young kids you know I'm thinking about what what can I do for for my own kids and I think there's a couple of things that I'm grateful for that my parents did and one of them is that money was never taboo in the house we didn't have a lot when we immigrated, we, um, you know, obviously my parents were, you know, not making a lot of money and were, you know, just a maybe above minimum wage, but but we talked about it, and I always, as I got older, I, I knew what my parents' um, wage was, it, it just, it was never the thing that, oh, you don't talk about money, and so I'm really mm-hmm. grateful for that, because it, it took a lot of the the taboo or the stigma, or you know, and it, and the other thing, my parents were incredibly frugal, and so I watched in, in how they used money, and that money wasn't something that controlled you, it was a means to an end. Uh, so that was number one. Number two, the, the second thing that uh, I'm so in- incredibly grateful for is that I'll never forget it, 16 mom took me to the bank, sat me down with the um, representative, and this representative showed me this beautiful, beautiful curve. And she says, John, this is what compound interest looks like. And so as a little 16-year-old, wow. I, I said, whoa, 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 you mean this little amount here when I'm 16, this is what it looks like, uh, you know, when I'm 60, 65. And so I was intrigued by this concept uh, immediately. And uh, and so mom and dad at 16 gave me a little bit of money and actually set up an RRSP account for me. And so they didn't teach me a lot. They just kind of modeled certain things. And that was mm-hmm. the second thing they did that uh, was really helpful. And so they taught me to think long-term. Um <clears throat> And then third thing I, from that, um, and I'm embarrassed to say, like I, this is probably maybe the extent of my financial planning um, uh, insight or, or the research that I did, is a couple of years later, I, The Wealthy Barber came out, and I read it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? I mean, it's not rocket science, it's basic principles. And I thought, you know what? I can get my head around some of those basic principles, and I've just tried to... Um, to carry those out and and the other thing that was really important to me and where I think something that's missing from the wealthy barber um, and I was hoping he would get at in his second book and, and didn't um, you know I think the principles are great and there's a lot of great stuff but there's no discussion of a generosity plan there was no discussion right. of about giving and one thing that I have learned in in meeting with a lot of people I have yet to I've yet to meet someone that's incredibly happy that is not generous. Right. And I I've just hasn't hasn't been my experience yet. I've never met someone who's not generous um but is incredibly happy. And so I think part of it uh is yes, you can use money to do a lot of great things, but I think um generosity needs to be an important part of it. We're not uh, islands unto ourselves, we're part of broader communities, and um, I think giving and, um, you know, contributing back to your community is one of the greatest ways, I think, for one's own um, contentment and happiness, Um, but it also benefits the community. And so years ago, you asked me about uh, the the giving strategy is, um, my wife and I, when we first got married, we put together a little bit of a plan and you know we didn't have a lot at the beginning and we wanted to give a certain amount um to to organizations and charities and, and faith communities that gave back to the community and we didn't have a lot in the beginning but we had a goal, wanted to, you know, work up to about ten percent and um, we couldn't do that in the first little while but there was that goal and so we just kind of wrote it down and and every year kind of picked a few um, places and you know as we get older and and we learn about more going on in the community that list has grown Um, but it's still a small amount of list uh, that we sort of every year say okay who are we going to give to and what amount and um, you know what are the organizations that reflect the the vision that we have for our community and and the things that um, we're passionate about and what's incredible looking back now after doing this for a number of years and I put it all in a bit of a spreadsheet is you know I didn't think we were giving that much and you know you kind of feel like oh it's just a drop in the bucket it's not a lot but it's an intentional plan and long term and when you get to look back you you realize you know what the small amounts add up it's a little bit like I talked about compound interest in investing the same thing with giving is that that grows and grows over time, and uh I have to say, looking back, I've never said, "Oh, I wish I would have spent less money on giving to my community. I've had a lot of regrets about things we've purchased, maybe, but I've never regretted giving to a uh, community
1: yes and and i and I think that's I think that's a wonderful example of uh, you know the list, and it can be just that simple. Having a plan can be just as simple as as having a list, and I think that's a a really good example. Uh, It's time for us to take a break, and we will be right back.
0: Is there a contribution that you dream of making? In society, planned giving seems to be presented as something you do once you're incredibly wealthy or planning your estate. Step Right with Lynn focuses on good money management and planning your contribution at every step based on the issues important to you. Learn how to expand the goodness around you and take responsibility for the issues important to you. Tune in for Step Right with Lynn every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Central Time, 7 a.m. Mountain Time, and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on AtoZen.fm. This is Step Right with Lynn. Lynn Wedham is a certified financial planner. To participate in the program today, please call toll-free in the U.S. 815-880-8255. That's 815-880-TALK. Or in Canada, 613-800-8736. Or you can Skype us at atizen.fm. You can also make the choices to ask or comment by email by sending to lynn at stepright.ca. Now, back to the program.
1: Uh, the topic of the show today is to belong and thrive. My guest is John Newfeld from the House of Friendship. Uh, John's been telling us a little bit about uh, his uh, personal uh, approaches to giving back to the community and a little bit about the background of how um, how that came to be, from the example of his parents and their and their teaching. Um, so, John. Um, How did the House of Friendship get started?
2: It's an incredible um, story actually and uh, so a little over 75 years ago we're now in the 30s and uh, I think a a lot of listeners would um, um, can probably have read about it, maybe some have uh, experienced it, but the 30s was um, obviously a a terrible economic time for folks. And Mm -hmm. So in our community here in Kitchener Waterloo we were no exception and you know had a lot of individuals that had nowhere to go um and so we had as back then they were referred to as hobos or transients um and so individuals had nowhere to live had no food and so interestingly enough uh it was actually a group of women uh from from different faith communities who were coming together and were saying, how do we respond to the needs of our community? Well, what do we do? Um, h- how do we respond to this economic uh, downturn? And what can we do? And they just mm-hmm. kind of got together, talked about it. None of them had a uh, solution. And um, one thing led to the next. And uh, then they, <clears throat> one of them um, stumbled upon uh, an individual called Joseph Kramer, um and invited him to Kitchener Waterloo and said, you know, we are wanting to start something to respond to the needs of the community. Uh would you be willing to join us? And Joseph Kramer is a, a fascinating character. Um he, he here's an individual who was born with incredible wealth. Um mm-hmm. he said, Before my two feet could hit the ground getting out of bed in the morning, I had two you know, I had people putting on slippers for me. Um <laughs> Joe Kramer wow. was uh um, grew up in the Ukraine. Was you know, grew up in a fairly wealthy family. He's able to speak eight languages, um, as he would joke, none of them good. And yeah. he he uh, he was one year from finishing med school, and okay. and then everything changed in his life. War broke out. His family um, was completely uh, altered. His father got killed. His family had to flee. And so all of a sudden, here's an individual who had everything and then overnight lost it all and right. and fled and at that time made a decision saying, you know what, I, I can't pursue medical studies. And he actually pursued more uh, religious studies um, and wanted to serve others. And um, so he came to Kitchener-Waterloo, um, you know, by the request of these women, and slowly uh, started working in downtown Kitchener out of a small little... Um, Uh, building that we rented from the Bingaman family, actually. Uh, Bingaman's Mm -hmm. Park is a well-known entity here in Kitchener-Waterloo and outside. And and so we just slowly started inviting these gentlemen um, in. We provided them a meal, um, some counsel, Joe, and one of the women was Ilda Bauman. She was incredibly critical to the mission at the beginning. And the two of them would go do hospital visits and just care for people. And for the people that had nowhere to belong, uh, Joe and Ilda just invited them in, cared for them, uh, listened to them, did what they could. Um and so those are the humble beginnings. I I mean it just started with that simple of a of a vision of just people need to belong and thrive and um what was great about it was the vision was caught by some other individuals, um, some some local churches, uh, you know, kind of saw that, hey, this is something that we need to support. And then one thing led to another, The, um, the some of the church members approached uh, city council and said, look, by these guys running this service in your community, you're, they're actually saving the city some money, so I think you should... You know, provide some funding mm. for them and so that started this partnership that is still active today uh, sort of you know between churches between our community um, you know generously donating and municipal government over time obviously it's gone to provincial and federal and so we have uh, funding from all levels of government but key is still very much uh, community involvement and donation and It just kind of has grown over there, Um, and so how do we get from a little humble, little mission that got started in a little storefront in 1939 to today, where you know we got 18 programs, Mm -hmm. got 150 staff, we have over a thousand volunteers that uh, you know help carry out our mission every year. Um, We have about a six and a half million dollar budget. Um, and annually, we fundraise close to 1.2 million to carry out this mission. And
0: and it all mm-hmm. started
2: 75 years ago with you know a simple vision that everyone should belong and thrive. And it started with a, a just a simple, come join us and and let us uh, serve you a meal.
1: Yes, it's it, it's amazing um the the size that it has become um but also that wonderful tradition uh to remember where it started is um uh, is amazing and I'm I'm sure that helps to provide some focus um you know the the story of how it got started um, so what are the ways what are those 18 programs and what are the ways that the house of Friendship supports the community now?
2: Yeah, and and I think the other thing that I, I need to share that's important to understand of you know how did we go from little storefront to you know today I, I think in one way or another we'll probably serve about forty-two thousand people in our community annually, and and that could be as minimal as we may see you once, uh, and our only touch point is that you know you've received a Christmas hamper from us or maybe you've received okay. a food hamper, and 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 so it's that very minimal contact. Or it could be to the individuals that we see each day that live with us 24-7 in one of our uh, residences. And so it's that whole gamut. But one way or another, uh, there's about 42,000 people that were in some sort of contact. And um, I think the important thing to remember is... And when I sort of when I came to House of Friendship, I just didn't understand it, and it was really confusing. And I thought, wow, all these programs, and how does this all fit together? And what do you mean we mm-hmm. provide food? And what do you mean we provide housing? And what do you mean we do addictions treatment? And what do you mean we run community centers? And, and like, how does this all fit together? And so I think what one needs to do, and, and how to make sense of House of Friendship, is you got to look at it from a story perspective, and you got to if you look at it from historically and how things kind of evolved it it totally makes sense and it doesn't seem as odd um, the way it looks today Um, and so really the essence of it Lynn is and it's good I would say good business practice and just good life practice I mean essentially what House of Friendship has done well over the years is they've listened to the needs of the community and they've tried to respond when appropriate they've taken some entrepreneurial risks um At different times, and they've always listened and and then learned and adjusted and and so that's how we got there. I mean, we started with this little storefront, and then, well, okay, so now we're feeding people, but they have nowhere to sleep, and so I think the original uh mm-hmm. executive director, Joe, I think slowly started letting a few folks stay over and and so essentially, then that led to us providing a place um for gentlemen experiencing homelessness to sleep and so that's today we are in our region sort of the men's hostel I mean if you're a man experiencing homelessness you're going to come to the House of Friendship hostel and so that's why we're so most people pin us as that one program because that's where our roots were but from there is where we expanded, and you know, we started providing food hampers. And so today, in a partnership with the Waterloo Region Food Bank, we distribute about 60% of the food that's collected in our um, community to people uh, experiencing food insecurity. Uh, and then, you know, from there we start. We said, okay, well, what about kids? And we started um, in the 70s. Started sending kids to camp. And so every year we have this um, program where we raise. Uh, upwards of 50,000, and we send over 100 children to camp, fully funded, um, in the summer for them to have that experience. Uh, Started serving women with young kids also in the 70s, and then also we started asking, okay, the gentlemen staying at the hostel, uh, they're also, one of the reasons some of them are staying there is because of their addiction, and so that's how we started with um, running an addictions program Mm -hmm. in our region. Uh, and so it just kind of grew from there, and as we listened to different needs, and a great story in 1980 was we we had someone uh, working with us and said, you know, okay, so what if, what if people have a place to stay and they have food, but they're living on low income and their roof starts leaking? What if we started providing small home repairs? And uh, so the executive director said, sure, go prove the need, sort of do market research, so to speak. And so we tried it, and lo and behold, what we learned was that's actually not what individuals needed. And so, you know, we again we listened, took the risk, and then said, hey, we're not on the mark. We we got to go back and um, rethink it. And then the individual said, but you know what? We are finding is individuals really need help with appliance repairs. When you're living on low income, and one of your major four appliances breaks down, you don't have the resources to just go right. out and buy a new one, and it's, sure. and maybe you can't afford the repairs. So. Out of that was birthed I believe Canada's only appliance repair program for people living on low income and it's still going to this day and um we're doing about eight hundred service calls each year um
0: and mm-hmm. repairing
2: appliances. So I think that's sort of the story and, and then through the eighties it kept going that way. Um you know, we, we built a few housing uh three fairly significant housing programs. Um, you know, we got into supportive housing where you know we wanted to start providing solutions to homelessness and so we have uh, built a few residences where um, people struggling with all sorts of uh, different things can have a safe place to live it's affordable and most importantly there's support there. There There's staff there that you know can help people walk through some of the daily challenges uh, support them and all that and that makes all the difference. You can put a roof over people's heads but if you don't help Uh, build community Uh, the work isn't complete Um, because if you're struggling in life and you know maybe you're suicidal maybe you're struggling with a lot of things putting a roof over your head is a good start but if if there's no community you're still suicidal you're still um, feeling a lot of hurt or whatever community is what makes all the difference and that's sort of the magic of some of the all of the residential programs that we run is that we provide community for people we allow people to feel like they belong they can thrive um, and that's key with uh, housing and then the last kind of piece over the uh, in the 90s and late 80s we were asked to start doing uh, work in community centers um, and so in low-income neighborhoods um, where we have a lot of challenges, poverty, um, a lot of new Canadians coming in. And so we are in four community centers through Kitchener-Waterloo and um, we respond to the needs of those communities. So whether it's children needing some after school to um, cooking to food um, security to a computer lab for uh, residents to... Um, for work any of that kind of stuff whatever those communities need um, we do
1: oh that's wonderful fascinating story Uh, we're going to go to break again right now and uh, and we'll look forward to uh, hearing more of the story after the break
0: is there a contribution that you dream of making in society planned giving seems to be presented as something you do once you're incredibly wealthy or planning your estate Step Right with Lynn focuses on good money management and planning your contribution at every step based on the issues important to you. Learn how to expand the goodness around you and take responsibility for the issues important to you. Tune in for Step Right with Lynn every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Central Time, 7 a.m. Mountain Time, and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on AtoZen.fm. Music This is Step Right with Lynn. Lynn Wedham is a certified financial planner. To participate in the program today, please call toll-free in the U.S., 815-880-8255. That's 815-880-TALK. Or in Canada, 613-800-8736. Or you can Skype us at atizen.fm. You can also make the choices to ask or comment by email by sending to lynn at stepright.ca. Now, back to the program.
1: Welcome back to our show today called To Belong and Thrive. <clears throat> uh, John Newfeld, uh, the executive director at the House of Friendship, um, has been explaining to us how, um, the organization has, um, has made a, uh, a tr- has transformed itself as it saw n- different needs in the, in the community. Um, you know, certainly that connection between homelessness, and addiction and um, and then meeting needs as they uh, as they were seen in the community um, so John, how do you personally measure the impact of the different programs that uh, are run by the House of friendship?
2: great question then and it's an important one to ask because um, I think what can happen, especially if you're serving the community for seventy five years is you can just Keep doing things the way you've always done them. Um, and, you know, that happens in businesses. It happens in faith communities. It, um, it, it's it's an easy trap to fall in. And, and I think one of the things is, is not... Uh, is to stop thinking about measuring your impact and forgetting clearly your why. Why, why, why do you do what you mm-hmm. do? Why did you get into this? And, you know, are you staying relevant to today's context and you know what we we will confess that you know we've also fallen into that trap at times too and we've just sort of you know it gets so busy and there's a lot of need and you just keep doing things the way you've always done them um you know it's it's that principle stephen covey talks about uh in the seven habits right and the story of the the individual sawing in the in the woods and someone comes by and says you know why don't you uh you just take some time and sharpen the saw.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um it's like, I don't have time, I'm I'm too busy sawing, right? And I mean right. and so sometimes, you know, organizationally, you know, we haven't taken the time to lift our heads and, and you know, measure impact or, or say, you know, why are we still doing it? Why are we still doing it the way we're doing it? And uh we're definitely uh transitioning to where, you know, we are trying to actively mo- um measure our impact you know are we still do you know doing what we're supposed to do and how do we continuously improve and how do we continuously innovate and of course it's tricky to measure sometimes the impact right how do you measure the impact of providing uh, a shelter bed for 2 weeks you know is that is that's you know how do you measure whether that you know radically changed someone's life or not or what impact that played and you know how many other variables are at play um so some of this stuff is tricky uh, to measure it, mm-hmm. so I don't want to dilute that, I don't want to water that down, but you got to make any attempts that you can, and and then when you have public money that you're receiving, like we are in charitable dollars, we have to be very accountable for, you know, what is the outcome. So one of the ways sometimes, it, it's on, it can only be as simple, and the main means we have is story. Mm-hmm. Is I don't know how many times individuals come back and say, you know what, actually those two weeks um, what you didn't know about me was the reason I was staying at the shelter was you know I was actually a student our family recently immigrated and we had no resources and so that's why I stayed and so by you providing me that place allowed me to continue to go to school allowed our family Mm -hmm. to do these things Um, the interesting thing is we measured um, I'll just use the hostel as an example we we looked at five years worth of stats of individuals that have come through the program and what we found fascinating was that over sixty percent of the individuals that came through, we we've we saw once, maybe twice over a four to five year period, um, wow. and and so that tells us that a lot it truly is an emergency for a lot of individuals, and it helped them get through that, whatever that crisis was in their life, that transition, whether whether it was a job loss or a relationship ending or a, a crisis or whatever, and then of course as we dig deeper in the data is the challenging part then there's a smaller group that we see a few times here and there but you know it's nothing out of control and then it's a very small percentage that we see a lot more and for whatever reason have you know as a community have trouble housing and 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 that's where you know mental health uh, really mm-hmm. kicks in addiction and, and and those are challenging issues and so so you do measurements like that and then by measuring that kind of stuff you can say, okay, so how do we then focus in on that, that smaller group that seems to be cycling in and out a bit more and um so there's those kinds of things. There's story, there's obviously data that we have to provide um to to funders. In some of our programs we actually have measurement tools about, you know, how is an individual prior to this program, how are they post. Um so as tricky as it is, you know we um, we have to be accountable to our community. Our community entrusts us with a lot of resources, um, financially, time, volunteer, and so we have to um, we have to do that. So it's an ongoing thing. Uh, the other thing that we uh, that I have found helpful is we we get outside uh, evaluations done uh, because all of us can pat ourselves on the back and say. Um, Wow, what a great job we're doing! Look, look how nice we are, and you know we're providing shelter and we're providing addiction treatment, we're providing food, and um, but you know what? Sometimes we need people outside of the organization to to do objective reviews and do do interviews, and and we have to be able to acknowledge and accept um, that sometimes the feedback we're going to get isn't great, or sometimes you know what? What if some of the things that we're actually trying to solve and trying to help Maybe we're actually sometimes perpetuating the problem. And that's not an easy thing to face up to. But, you know, if we don't, and if we don't ask ourselves those difficult questions, and if we don't push ourselves, I'm not sure how to move forward. Um, Because if the issues of poverty, homelessness, food insecurity, addictions, community, if if they were that simple, um, you know, there would be societies or communities in the world that would have figured it out. Uh, these that's aren't true. easy issues; they're challenging issues, and so you have to keep a spirit of humility, and you have to keep a spirit of a constant drive to um, to want to learn and, and to challenge yourself and to push yourself. And so, so that's something we've started to do: is we've started to um, ask for objective um, outside evaluations and and uh, you know reviewing all of our programs. And that hasn't been easy. It's not easy mm-hmm. when you ask someone, uh, give me the good, the bad, and the ugly, and they actually do it. Um, (laughs) But I I don't see an alternative. Um, The reality is we are living in um, challenging times provincially as a province. We're in times of austerity. um, So there's not just an abundance of resources that you can do whatever you want with. And um, so you have to figure out, you have to innovate, you have to do things... um, Differently you have to take risks, be entrepreneurial and uh as I'm sure your listeners know really well that's not that simple to do um but we have to d- it's what we expect um from our governments from the business sector, and it's the same thing in the in the charitable sector
1: mhm mhm so um when those immediate and and those obvious needs are met um is, is there some support in place for for taking that next step, um, so that we're not Absolutely. perpetuating the um, yeah the situation.
2: Great question, Lynn. And you know what? And I have to be honest. You know, sometimes we get it right, and sometimes we we really mess up. Um, you know, we don't get, always get it right. One of the cool things about uh, what I love about House of Friendship is that it's not simply a reactionary you know, emergency-based organization. I mean, those are our roots, and that's how we started. We started with the mm-hmm. basics of, hey, uh, I think we can all get get our head around the concept that we all need a, a roof over our heads and, and we need food. And when people are in a mm-hmm. crisis or in an emergency and they don't have those, I want to be part of a community where we have resources that provide that. Um, and so mm-hmm. that's important. But you know what when you do just emergency reactionary stuff for seventy five years you get tired um and you, and you you get you kind of ask yourself like is that is this it like we're just gonna be as uh, the old metaphor about just pulling the babies out of the the, the water and you know not figuring out why are, why are they you know, why are they being dumped in the water in the right, first place right. so one of the neat things I think that's happened over the evolution of seventy five years at House of friendship is that we we have sort of the whole spectrum. So we have the spectrum of, we will respond to an emergency, we will help you through a crisis, but then we also have um, what what I call sort of um, proactive, preventative-based programs. That's why we're so big uh, on our community centers. And so Mm -hmm. we move ourselves right into low-income neighborhoods and we start programming for children, for youth, for families, so that long-term we can avoid crises. You know, and so so we have some really long-term preventative, and then we have some, you know, intermediate stuff, you know, like addictions treatment, supportive housing, um, so that that we can, we have the whole gamut. So,
0: Mm -hmm. back to
2: your kind of question is, it's not just simply um, be reactionary, respond to a crisis. Uh, You know, we'd like to think that, yes, we do that, and from there, learn a lot of things. But we're also trying to do more and more uh, prevention-based stuff. But you know what? Prevention is a very, very tough sell. Uh, It's human nature. uh, For whatever reason, we're geared towards, we're really good at responding to crisis. um, But thinking 10, 20 years ahead of time, that's, that's hard. That's a hard sell, and people, you know, it's hard to buy into that. So we struggle with that. It's a lot easier to go out in the community and say, Hey, uh, could you give us some money, you know, to help people have shelter or to have some food, you know, people were willing to donate that. As soon as I say, can you join us in a long term vision for a stronger community and, you know, support one of our community centers where you know what there's not a tangible thing. I can't prove to you yeah. that by what we do today, you know, that there's an immediate payoff. We haven't yeah. housed someone there maybe overnight. But you know what? We've invested in the kids. Uh, we've you know helped them go on to camp. We, we've provided some recreation after school and programming. And what if that child didn't receive that kind of support? Uh, what would happen to them in 10, 15 years? And so it's a challenge. Uh, and maybe it a challenge is, I would yeah. throw to your um, listenership as they think about their intentional generosity plan, You know, thinking about the kinds of things they support, have a balance between sort of short term and you know maybe, but but also be open to some long term stuff that's not as easy to get your head around. Um, mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. anyways, I I, uh, I digress. So there is yes, there is a lot of stuff about um, next steps. You know, we can't. The thing with our with our um, incredible team members. I mean, if you met our frontline staff here you'd be incredibly inspired. I'm inspired by them every day because of the way they go out and, and care for individuals. And one of the things at House of Friendship where our philosophy is different is that we don't have a um this power dynamic where we have something and you know, you poor person, you know, need something, and we're just gonna give it to you. <clears throat> our philosophy is we walk beside you at this time in your life. All of us, you know, like Joe Kramer had everything and lost everything and needed people to walk beside him. And the same thing here, when someone walks through our doors, through any of our programs, we're going to walk beside you. It's not about we have the answers, we're not going to tell you how to do it. And so we have a simple model of we try to engage, empower, equip. And so engagement means I look at you as a fellow human being, as someone that has a story and is on a journey. And... I just want to walk beside you and and be a part of that journey, if you'll allow me to, and see what we can do. That's engagement. You don't walk through the doors and we don't label you as a homeless person or as an addict or a, a new Canadian. You are a human being that has a story and we share a common humanity. That's our starting point. Mm-hmm. We then try to empower you to do what you need to do and try to give you the tools. Um, and so we don't just you know just kind of we do what we can but every individual is different and so we don't have a cookie cutter approach to how we respond and and provide uh support for the next steps.
1: Yeah, that's that's wonderful. We're going to go to another uh short break, John, and uh and we'll we'll uh be recapping a bit after the break.
0: Is there a contribution that you dream of making? In society, planned giving seems to be presented as something you do once you're incredibly wealthy or planning your estate. Step Right with Lynn focuses on good money management and planning your contribution at every step based on the issues important to you. Learn how to expand the goodness around you and take responsibility for the issues important to you. Tune in for Step Right with Lynn every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Central Time, 7 a.m. Mountain Time, and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on to AtoZen.FM. This is Step Right with Lynn. Lynn Wedham is a certified financial planner. To participate in the program today, please call toll-free in the U.S. 815-880-8255. That's 815 880 TALK, or in Canada, 613 800 8736. Or you can Skype us at atazen.fm. You can also make the choices to ask or comment by email by sending to lynn at stepwright.ca. Now, back to the program. Hello again,
1: this is Lynn Wedham. Uh, today I'm chatting with John Newfeld from the House of Friendship. It's been fascinating uh, to get uh, a little deeper understanding uh, about what this organization means and how it got started and, and the principles under which it's operating. Um, John, the future. What's the vision for the future of the House of Friendship?
2: Oh, if we only all had a crystal ball and could just... Uh... <laughs> rub yeah. it a little and see it. Um that that would be uh the simple thing. Um and I wish I could tell you I uh have some massive insight into the future, but I think the best way of knowing um where you need to go and 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 the vision for the future is is listening. Um and so when we listened as I told you we went through the visioning process a couple years ago, um when we listened to the people that we served we listen to the people that volunteer with us, the people that serve at House of Friendship on a daily basis. I mean, there were some pretty key um, messages that came through uh, that I think are, are going to uh, direct us in the future. And one of the things people were clear on is they said, we need you to keep doing the, f- the four things that you do best at, the four things that we mm-hmm. see you leading in. Uh, we see you as a leader in, um, in providing housing. We see you as a leader in providing food, um, security we see you as a leader in community development and we see you as a leader in uh addictions treatment for adults and so that's a challenge to us to mm-hmm. innovate in those areas uh, and to instead of saying okay well what if we did this what if we no we don't need that we already have four areas that we're leading in and that we need to do more innovation in and grow in so that sure. that, that, that came clear out uh for us so that's that's a that
1: large mandate there <laughs> that's
2: that's a that's a large enough uh mandate for it i think and and a significant challenge number two uh individuals community people we serve were really really clear with us speak up you've been Mm -hmm. doing this for 75 years um if you know if you don't speak up you know you've been entrusted with You know, our our, the Waterloo region um, has a very strong respect and trust in House of Friendship. You know, we serve over 42,000 people. We we can kind of see what's happening on the front lines, and they're saying, if you don't stand up and if you don't speak up on behalf of you know the individuals you serve, the issues that you're seeing, who's Mm -hmm. going to? I mean, you have Mm -hmm. a responsibility um, because of your size, because of your trust in the community, and. 75 years, and so we've taken that seriously, and that's a hard one for us. You have to understand that House of Friendship comes from very, very um, humble roots. Um, A lot of people in the faith communities would rather, you know, say let our acts speak louder than our words, and you know what, I back that up 100%, I think actions Mm -hmm. will always speak louder than words, and so I don't want to ever lose that uh, important background to House of Friendship. But I think it's important for us to share the stories of the people we serve. I think it's important to speak out on the issues, to challenge different systems that we have in place. Um, change doesn't happen if a bunch of citizens just sit around quietly. Change happens when a small group of citizens get up and say, you know what, this isn't okay. This isn't okay that you know uh, transient men are just walking the streets of Kitchener and have nowhere to go. I mean, it was... It was a small group of women who 75 years ago said we want to do something different and we need change, right? And so mm-hmm. we need to speak up. It's it's uncomfortable for us. Um, it's not, you know, we'd, we don't ever want to be perceived as we're out there tooting our um, our horn and look at all the great stuff we're doing you know what we we get it wrong a lot of the times too. the key is
1: but but people is, do need uh, to be aware so there's a ha,
2: how do we learn yeah and how and the other thing that, that's key to to us is that we can do all the great work here but at the end of the day we've only got a hundred fifty staff serving here we can uh, you know care and love and provide a lot of compassion to the people we serve when they're with us but at the end of the day most individuals leave our programs they go back in the community and if as a whole community we have not embraced the people we serve or if you know while they're treated here with great respect but they go back in the community because they're struggling with an addiction or they're struggling with other things there's all this stigma and they're treated really poorly then have we really accomplished our vision for a healthy community where all can belong that's right not really so our our mission is only as strong as the broader community and so Mm -hmm. if we don't speak up and and have that conversation with the community, it's hard for us to really accomplish our vision. So it's not really about House of Friendship. It's not about what we do. It's about what does this, this community do and ha- how do we work together. Um, so that's part so of it. And the last one I, I would just add is we just need to keep listening. Uh, we need to keep taking risks of entrepreneurial responses just like we have leading up to the 75 years. So that's what I would say is part of our uh, future vision.
1: That's visions. great. So how can people help, John? Uh,
2: the quick thing, I, I just before I say, oh, you know, contact us and, and do this for us or do that. You know what? Before you do any of that, take some time. Um, really try to figure out what sings to your heart uh, or what makes your heart sing, I should say. You know, what? what is it that is, pa- what are you passionate about? What is it in your own journey that has, that, you know, has sort of, has broken you or has really upset you or, or you know that you've got a passion for and and dig a little bit it's it's um, it's hard work there's you know um, volunteering on a platter um, I'm sure there's plenty of that kind of stuff out there and you can put in you know an hour here or that but is that really all you want is that is that what you want to get out of it or and maybe that is and maybe that's all you have the time for now you just want to do something good that you can feel good about but I think that you know when I've seen people, uh, and you've had some of these folks on your show, Lynn, uh, that you've interviewed. Hmm. When when I've seen people light up, the difference is that they've taken the time to really look at their own story, to ask some difficult questions, to look at what their passions are, and then they've just started kind of playing around and 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 taking some risks and. Um, and trying some things. And sometimes it didn't work. I mean, you recently interviewed Sandra O'Hagan who, you know, mm-hmm. tried one way and, no, it didn't work. And she tried and 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 tried something different and it brought her alive. So, yeah. for me, the big thing isn't about, you know, oh, come to House Friendship, it's a great... I know in KW, I can speak for our community. I don't know the community you're in and where the listeners are. In KW, we have an incredible amount of incredible organizations and such a wide array of organizations trying to help individuals. So find out what are you passionate about. Take some time.
1: That's Talk wonderful. To people. Ask friends. So how can people reach you, John? But if they're
2: interested in House of Friendship and anything that I said or anything that they see, in it, start with our website. Houseoffriendship.org is always a great place to start. You can learn more about the vision, mission, the programs. If something kind of tweaks you there, contact us. Uh, there's you know contact info on the website. Uh, volunteering at um, houseoffriendship.org call one of us and so go from there Um,
1: okay that's wonderful thank you so much for being with us today John it's been fascinating
2: and thank you so much for the opportunity and uh, for the listeners to uh, be a part of this and I want to wish everyone the best as they look at their own story and their giving strategies and and how they give back to uh, the community
1: that's terrific. Um, this time, I'd like to remind everyone to tune in next week. Um, we uh, will be here again. Uh, Barry Ames will be our guest next week. Um, send me an email anytime, Lynn at stepright.ca. That's L-Y-N-N at stepright.ca. Remember, thank you for choosing to listen
0: to Step Right with Lynn. Lynn Wedham will return next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Mountain, and 6 a.m. Pacific on A AtoZen.fm. We hope you'll join us. Remember to celebrate your wealth by doing...